Hello, welcome to Unbiased with me, Darshi Harindra. I help organizations rethink how they use data and new technologies in a compliant, unbiased, and inclusive way. I'm on a mission to rehumanize technology so that we can max out on all the potential benefits it brings whilst keeping people very much at the center of its oversight and success. Now, this podcast is very much centered on the human side of the equity and inclusion equation. Through guests sharing their stories of how bias has affected and continues to affect their day-to-day lives, we can get a glimpse into the beautifully complex fabric interwoven into our communities. And we can learn about some of their work in trying to address or combat the ill effects of some of those biases. Today, I'm joined by Marion Wong. Marion is a marine biologist, academic, researcher, and founder of Mooch Denim Upcycle. For the past 20 years, she's been researching the behavior of coral reef fish and how their behavior is affected by changing environments, including climate change. Marion was born and raised in the UK and today is based here in Australia, where she focuses her fieldwork along the Great Barrier Reef. But her research has taken her to reefs all around the globe, including the reefs of Papua New Guinea, French Polynesia, and Lake Tanganyika in Africa. Marion currently lectures at the University of Wollongong in New South Wales, where she teaches marine biology, animal behavior, and fisheries and aquaculture. More recently, Marion founded a new venture, Mooch Denim Upcycle, where she designs and makes bags and other fashion items from unwanted denim and remnant fabrics. By upcycling jeans and fabrics that would otherwise go to waste, she aims to spread the word about the environmental impact of fast fashion on the planet. Ultimately, for many of us who donate unwanted clothes, the reality is that they end up in landfill or the ocean in another part of the world where we just can't see. So by supporting upcycling and taking a slow fashion mindset, Marion believes in the power we all have to help reduce the enormous amount of waste that piles up each day. Marion, thank you for taking time out of the ocean to join me today. Thank you, Dashi, for having me on the show. So, Marion, you sit on the other side of the screen and the mic from me today as, among other things, a marine biologist, lecturer, designer and entrepreneur. Tell us your origin story. Where and how did it all begin for you? Yeah, so I actually didn't realize I wore so many hats, but it's definitely true. So, as you said, I'm originally from the UK. So that's where I was born and grew up and did all my um, studies over there. And growing up in sort of a suburb in London, you know, I wasn't really exposed to the ocean that much as a kid, but my family being originally from Malaysia, we'd often go back on holidays over there. And my dad really loved the water and fish in particular. So he would take me and my brother snorkeling on these reefs to see, you know, all these pretty tropical reef fish. Um, So I think from a young age, that really stuck in my mind is just how beautiful it is to be underwater in this kind of fishy world. Um, But back in London, you know, there was relatively little nature around where I grew up. So besides our back garden, 
which was a place that I explored quite a lot as a kid. So I would go out and just watch all the little insects and birds and squirrels we have over there. Um, and yeah, just watch their behavior. And I think from an early age, I was always fascinated in um, just watching animals and what they're doing and trying to understand why, you know, watching all the David Attenborough documentaries and so on. And so I decided to then um, study that at undergraduate level over in the UK. Um, so I studied zoology and really loved that. And then as a sort of youngish adult, I started scuba diving. So that really helped to cement this love for the ocean um, and give me a little bit more direction in the sense that I, at that point I knew I wanted to become a marine biologist. So, yeah, that's how it started. Wow, Marion, I'm always excited to hear people that can really say that they're following their childhood passions. It's clear that you were interested in in the ocean and nature um, from an early age. Uh, and I love that you are able to tap into your kind of cultural heritage and being by the ocean and that kind of island living that your parents were able to show you, even though that you were born and raised in one of the most biggest urban centers in the world. So that's really interesting for me to start with. In terms of how you got from the UK then over to Australia. So after your studies, I mean, the Great Barrier Reef seems like a the ideal place to be if you want to study marine biology. Was that an easy transition to make in terms of how competitive it was and what you had to go for steps you had to take to be able to take that zoology study from the UK to the real world? Yeah, great question. Um, it was definitely a challenge. I, for a number of reasons, actually. So personally, it was a challenge for me to just leave home and then go to a, the other side of the world. And, you know, that that was particularly difficult my first year when I was in Australia after I'd left. I felt very, very homesick. And that took a while to sort of, you know, get to a manageable level. And I know it was also hard on my parents too, but they were really supportive and just said, you know, if this is what you want to do and it's your passion, then you should go. Um, and I actually had a position, um, offer of a position at a UK university as well, which, before I actually got my offer for the Australian university. And I declined the UK position, not actually knowing whether or not I'd be accepted overseas. And so looking back, that was an extremely risky move. Um, and I'm you know, much more risk averse now that I'm older, I think. But back then it was just, uh, it was a bit of a no brainer. Like I really just wanted to go and do tropical marine biology. And for that, I needed to go somewhere tropical. So um, I had to take a year out after my undergraduate, simply just to apply for PhD scholarships. Um, and I applied for so many during that year. And I also just went on my own sort of steam and visited um, the university that I ended up going to in Australia and visiting all the people there and meeting them and meeting my potential supervisor. And I even went out to their research station as a volunteer for a week just to make sure that I 
this was the right decision. And it all it did was completely solidify, you know, my desire to take that risk and go over there. And then thankfully I did get a scholarship that gave me sort of three years worth of um, living allowance that enabled me to go over to Australia and, and, and do my PhD. So um, it was definitely a lot of hard work and, but I, I don't think I really thought twice about, about, you know, doing that and that, that being my path at the time. How funny that we just keep, even though we have signals of where calculated risks have paid off in our younger days that we just still, it's so easy to become more and more risk averse as we get older. I really relate to that. I'm interested in hearing a bit more about the world of academia. It's not an industry area I've grown up in. I know a few people who work in academia, but having moved in much more private sector, corporate fields, I've had this perception and and my own biases, if you will, based on that limited exposure that the academic field is one which is fiercely competitive and littered with unwarranted bias. And it's an area where you are able, as I said, to take these high risks coming from the UK uh, as, you know, a woman with Malaysian background and all of that carried with you. What has your own environment been like when studying and working in academia and the field that you're in? And has your experience been any similar to the stereotype that seems to exist around academia? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because I have the exact same sort of bias um, for corporate because I, I don't know anything about that world. I see that as fiercely competitive as well. Um, and you're right, certainly academia, um, it is really competitive. So there might be a job open and, you know, three to 400 people are applying and, you know, the standards are just getting higher and higher, and higher these days. And there certainly are biases still. So, you know, there's um, underrepresentation, for example, of women in STEM subjects. And that's been happening for a very long time. And so I'm part of a, a group called Superstars of STEM, which is trying to train a lot of female scientists to better promote themselves, really, because that's often, you know, women are, are a li- little bit reluctant to promote ourselves. And and so this, this program is really trying to help us to um, overturn some of the biases, I guess, that we have about ourselves as well. So I think that's been really helping me. But um, personally, throughout my academic journey, if I think about the colleagues that I've had and supervisors and peers, um, I've not really experienced any sort of direct biases against me or not that I've really noticed. Half the time, I'm just more concerned about the science and what, I, what I'm doing and what I'm thinking. Um, and, you know, about myself and my sort of Malaysian heritage, I've, you know, I, I'm, I love a lot of the traditions that we have and in that space, but I'm, I don't really see myself as Malaysian or a a woman even, you know, it's just, um, I'm just an individual in science who's, um, who's got a, a keen interest in a, a very niche topic, um, but that I um, would just want to do my best in terms of the research that I do. 
And I think I've sort of naturally, as a result of that, surrounded myself with people that also think in a similar way. Like it's not about where they've come from or, um, you know, what their gender is or or anything like that. It's really just they're driven by the science and the question and trying to figure out whatever, you know, little problem that they're trying to figure out, you know, in this big pool of problems that scientists are generally trying to figure out, um, you know, collaboratively or, you know, in our, in our own space, in our own offices. So I think I've been really lucky in that sense, but certainly, yeah, I've heard many stories about um, biases within academia, um, but thankfully so far I, I think I've managed to avoid a lot of those. They are important problems that you're solving and you need to be able to to focus on that, but also make sure, as you're saying, think like through things like the superstars of STEM, just make sure that that pipeline is continually filling with with really neurodivergent um, people to share and help that solve problems. And I think that is something that you just, I probably personally, that's where I just associated academia as being somewhere that's just, where it's so important to have that diversity in terms of diversity of thought uh, itself. Um, I'd like you to take us through marine biology into climate change and the journey to mooch denim upcycled. So that's how we got to know each other, uh, Marion. And I mentioned in the in your bio that, you know, this is a, a relatively new venture of yours. Uh, I'd really like you to take us through that journey. Yeah, so marine biology for me started with just asking really basic, pure questions about animal behavior. So why do fish behave the way they do? You know, I'm really interested in their social lives. Um, they're really fascinating um, organisms from that regard. Um, so I never really, until recently, started to think about, well, how does climate change affect their behavior? But it's a, you know, obviously really topical at the moment and it's something that a lot of scientists around me are integrating into their research even if they hadn't done so already or if they hadn't started off from that applied angle and then more and more so as I've you know gotten older and um, spent more time in the water on coral reefs but also in lakes I've witnessed a lot of things firsthand, um, a lot of impacts on the environment. So that can range from the impacts of cyclones damaging vast swathes of corals um, or the impacts of increased ocean temperatures on coral survival and fish survival. And as well as things like, um, you know, I was in uh, Lake Tanganyika, which is in um, borders several countries, but we were in Zambia for a diving um, research trip and one of our study sites, you know, we tagged a whole bunch of these really little endemic fish cichlids that live in the lakes and only that lake. And then the next day there was, you know, a, uh, a gill net, so really, really long gill net that had been just thrown across that area and stretching for probably hundreds of metres. I actually tried to swim down quite a lot of it and just gave up because it was so long. And, you know, a lot of our fish would, were um, stuck in the gill nets and, you know, and this was such a confronting image that I still see it in my mind. It's just these fish struggling and, and dying in the gill nets. And, um, yeah, it was a really moving experience to, to see those sorts of things happening in front of your eyes and increasingly so over time. 
Um, but you have to understand the bigger picture is that the gill nets were there because the local people needed to eat something. You know, there's a lot of poverty in these areas. And that's because the big commercial fisheries were catching so much of the fish that these local fishermen would otherwise try to catch. So, you know, it's this really complicated problem that the world is currently facing. And I realized that even though my research started off as just being about, you know, what do these little fish do? Um, it had to um, take a direction that started to look at, well, um, how can we try and how can my research at least contribute towards um, a better understanding of the kind of threats that these fish are facing? And with that, I think that leads into mooch denim upcycled because um, I guess I've always, you know, really enjoyed, you know, using my hands and crafting and doing those sorts of things. And um, over the lockdown that we had, I just started, you know, upcycling denim into bags. And then I had this amazing mentor who was helping to coach me and in, in terms of initially about, you know, my science career, but actually our discussions started to focus more on my bags and my upcycling and sewing, which is just a hobby. And then she sort of enlightened me about the impact of fast fashion on, on the planet, um, particularly the amount of waste that is generated as a result of fast fashion. And a lot of those um, clothes that we donate, you know, as a result of, you know, oh, that's so cheap. I'm just going to buy that and wear it once and then donate it to a charity shop and then it will be fine. Um, actually, about 85% of those clothes that we donate, and it's roughly, that's roughly about 2 million tons per year that we donate, about 85% of those get shipped overseas where, you know, roughly half of it then ends up in their landfill or in the oceans in those areas where it causes, you know, often unknown um, environmental damage. So be because of that and because I learned that, I decided to just keep up cycling, you know, even after the lockdown was over and we were all free to go out and socialise again. I was one of the ones that just sort of stuck with my lockdown project and I have stuck with it now for, you know, about a year, I suppose, so far. Um, and it was funny because initially I really couldn't understand the link between making bags and marine biology and, and the threats to fish. But um, over time I've started to sort of unite, at least in my head, these really disparate or what seemingly disparate areas of who I am and what I do together. Um, but it's certainly been a journey because, you know, I was confused as to why I really was loving doing this. And um, and then the realization of the fact that it actually did speak to my core values. Marion, you really strike me as someone that's lived through your core values throughout your life. Uh, and what I like about that story that I've heard in particular is just really understanding just how interconnected everything is, both from yourself in that personal journey of combining your passion with your profession and with 
tackling massive uh, issues, both on, that, on the climate change front, the fast fashion one, something that I know, again, I, we got to know each other a bit through through your work with Mooch Denim and through various, um, you know, mentorship type uh, arrangements and coaching. And sometimes you do need that someone outside <laughs> to look in and, and join the dots for you. But also being able to draw, particularly in that these kind of consumer areas, really bring home that interconnectedness of everything and people really understanding that there is a history and a story to how every piece of or every thing that we own um, comes to fruition and that we are in it living in a time where the impacts of climate change are getting glaringly glaringly clear to us and so that's why it just it, it seems like that uh, something like Mooch Denim Upcycled has just come at at that perfect time, both in your life and for something that is just really necessary and we need more of. In terms of moving into this area, which presumably is quite a different discipline for you to academia and to lecturing and to diving, uh, how have you found balancing all the different, quite different skill sets and drivers and obligations to keep all those things going? And how, and has there been a bit of a theme to the challenges along the way? Are are some of your bigger challenges practical ones on just like, right, I need to know how to set myself up, how to scale up. But it also sounded like we've heard a bit about that kind of personal journey of moving into something that, well, this is just supposed to be a hobby. What do you mean I could make something more of this? Uh, This idea of, you know, becoming a bit more risk averse as we experience more through life. Um, Yeah, I'm just really interested to hear some of the the challenges. Yeah, there's certainly been a lot of challenges for me. Um, As an academic, we're kind of used to our little bubble of academia and universities. And so I have no problem standing up in front of a lecture theatre or at a conference with hundreds of people talking about research because that is a really safe space for me and I've trained in how to do that and I train my students in how to do that. But what I wasn't prepared for was with Mooch is to have to stand up at a market stall with bags that I've made behind me and talk about bags, you know, it, it's a very different thing because, yes, you're trying to sell, and that's not something that I really do at all in academia besides grant applications. But, again, that's a bit different. I'm trying to sell a product, um, and it, it really, you know, not having a business mind at all, um, that was something that's very challenging. Um But I think I'm starting to get over that by, you know, through, you know, having an amazing mentor, um, realizing that what I actually have to do is to share my story and share my um, passion. And um, that that is um, the most sincere way of selling, I think. And the more I think about it, then the more that makes sense to me and the easier it gets for me to go to a market and and to talk to people about, you know, impacts of fast fashion and, and, and those sorts of things, the environmental issues. Um, of course, I don't, you know, bombard them with all this information unless they want it. Um, and I also realized about bags is that 
they're interesting because they're not actually a product per se. They're actually a service because when you think about your own favorite bag, it's a thing that's with you all the time and it helps you. It keeps everything together, all your essentials together, and it allows you to function in the world in an efficient way and probably also a stylish way if that's something that you care about. So when I think about bags now, I actually don't think about it of them as a product. I think about them as a way to help people. And so that's brought me much more into the customizing um, space really recently. And I've really recently customized a few bags for people. And um, it, it's a re really rewarding for me as well as for the other person because they can get the type of bag that really fits them. And they can also inject that sentimentality into the bag. For example, if they give me fabric that they love to make the bag with, or if they give me a pair of jeans that they love and, and can no longer wear and I use those to make the bags. Um, then you have a bag that's, you know, like a friend or a companion that also um, makes you feel good every time you, you look at it. So the challenges I think I'm overcoming just by thinking about them from a different perspective and a perspective that, again, makes sense to those those values that um, you mentioned earlier. Um, and certainly, you know, you know, social media is, is tough for me too. Um, yeah, it took me ages to figure out how to take nice photos of the bags, you know, and eventually I found just literally two corners of my apartment where bags look okay, you know, where there's enough light and there's enough space because I'm in a, in a really small place and, you know, there's denim everywhere. <laughs> And uh, once I figured that out, which took like weeks, um, then it was okay. And so I've got like the formula for that now. And then it was figuring out the website. And there I think the academic skills help because, you know, we do a lot with computers and programs and, um, you know, it's all about learning new things all the time. So I think the academic training there helps with helped with that but nothing could really prepare me for simply just standing up at a, a market and, and talking to people that's incredible I feel you so hard on the on the socials and the pictures and the, the all the things that you know it, we get bombarded with and it seems like people are just sort of doing off the cuff but there's so much that goes into that and especially where you you want to showcase something something to sell but I've also never heard someone talk about bags the way that you just have uh I've maybe used snippets of those things to justify purchases in the past to my husband but particularly in the context of actually of, of slow fashion and how we need to sort of reframe it but still acknowledging the importance that bags do play for particularly uh women um and I know as someone you know and I and I genuinely as much as I've been facetious about it um I think that's really 100% right. It's just so refreshing to hear someone else say that as someone that, you know, and I, you know, where, again, where we often, there's a lot of us that wear lots of different hats and, and, and a bag can mean so much in different ways. So um, I think you're well on your way on the selling front, uh, Marion, <laughs> to that end. I'm interested in the, the market for this sort of thing as a whole, like, are there many others like you? And also what has been the reception from your colleagues and the people that, you know, that are out and have seen those effects themselves and watching you actually turn that into something 
commercial and to spread that word well. Are there, are there many others that do something similar that also have that level of expertise or are there just sort of other interested parties? And how big do you think this market is growing? Because it certainly seems like one that's ripe for the taking and has so much potential, but I'm not sure where it's at right now. Quite honestly, I'm not sure either, <laughs> Darcy. Um, I know that generally in the fashion industry, um, there is a movement towards upcycling. Um, so it is on their radar. The problem is, is that with a lot of particularly fast fashion companies is this problem of greenwashing, where they're actually saying that they're really green and sustainable, um, but they're actually not. Um, so again, it's sort of, are these companies truly green or are they actually, um, is that just a marketing tool? And that's where I think that the public can get and myself can get really confused um, about, you know, what to do and, and who to support and which brands to buy from. And thankfully, there is information like the Good On You app is a really good one for checking out different brands. So you can just type in the brand name and it will spit out information um, based on their own research regarding environmental impacts and social impacts as well, because that's really important that the, the workers are being paid fairly um, in, you know, in various um, usually developing countries and that they're working in safe conditions. Um, and, you know, there's been uh, events in the past where that, that hasn't been the case. Um, and so... I think that um, while there is a movement, we do still have to be careful about who who we support. Um, and in terms of other people upcycling denim, yeah, there are a couple others um, in um, Australia, um, but it's it's not a it's not a huge thing. And I think maybe because just the amount of time it takes to simply unpick a pair of jeans, because you're not starting from a nice, you know, one meter by one meter piece of fabric, um, you're actually having to dismantle something first and then recreate it into something else. So for me, the preparation takes three times longer than the actual sewing of the bag. Um, and I think because of that, you know, that, that does, it, it means that you have to be slow. It's necessarily slow fashion. Um, but that's one of the things that actually draws me to it is, is that, um, is the process of it, you know, and I think about, when I think about um, how I uh, remain motivated to do this in my spare time, in evenings and weekends, is this image of, of the planet Earth, you know, and then it's, it's just being covered and covered and covered with layers of unwanted clothing, um, to a point where it's just being completely smothered. And, you know, we've got enough clothing right now on this planet to clothe the next six generations of humans. It's really just insane. And um, these clothes are continue to be pumped out. New clothes, um, there are two, 52 micro seasons a year in the fashion industry. And that means every week there are new collections. And a lot of those are not sold and just thrown out. So, you know, that, that imagery and these facts just keep me motivated. Yeah, it's really hard to balance um, everything. Um, you know, I work full time. And, you know, when I make a bag, it's really a, a gradual process. I might cut the denim in, in one evening and then sew it the next evening and, and just keep doing that. But what I try and do is just, you know, if I think about, okay, if I can just take two more pairs of unwanted jeans 
this week and just turn them into something else that people might find more useful. And if I can do that every week, then I think, you know, that's just my my own personal tiny um, contribution to this. Uh, I really think it would be great if more people did this sort of thing. Um, but again, it, it comes down to those challenges we talked about earlier. It's just time um, needing to balance your own life. And there's certainly things that I did before in my spare time that I don't do now. So uh, I've had to make those sacrifices. And uh, I think my friends and colleagues initially really surprised, I would say. Um, you know, my mum would, would not have been surprised that I ended up as a marine biologist, but probably very surprised that I, I'm doing any kind of sewing because as a kid I was petrified of the sewing machine, and I was until recently too. So, But on the whole, everybody, everybody has been really, truly supportive um, and – I wasn't expecting that because, you know, as an academic, the bias is, is that we have to be really serious and just only be, you know, think about our science and um, not really do anything, you know, you know, quote unquote frivolous, um, you know, and maybe that was a bias I had, but that, that I've now, um, you know, challenged in myself as well. Not that I think this is frivolous, but um it's just, you know, we can have many different hats. And I think that brings us back to the beginning. Yes, 100%. And that's kind of why I started this podcast and to have those conversations, uh, just to get perspectives that we don't see all the time, to speak to more people that, that wear all these many hats, because there is a zeitgeist for being green. So everyone's getting on this bandwagon, and then it's very difficult to discern um, information from another. And it's one of the reasons that that I look to you so much for those kinds of things, because of that um, academic background that you have in this area, that I suspect that there are a few people that are pushing a brand that come from literally spent half their life in the ocean so you'll have to share with me the links for the app and stuff like that so I can put them uh, on the show notes and can we learn how is best to connect with you to actually learn more about how you collect denim where people can people donate how people other people could get involved if that is something if they are also have that kind of creative urge to create something and maybe hadn't thought what and maybe never even thought about denim as a basis um, for that kind of thing. Uh, can people, have, what's the best way for people to, to connect with you on those kind of things? Yeah, definitely. So um, probably the website would be the first place to go and um, I can send you that um, link, Darshi. Um, but also, you know, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. And um, yeah, I regularly get um people that just want to donate their jeans to me nowadays. So I've actually not had to buy denim for a while, which is amazing. Um, but, uh, yeah, and um, so I welcome all of that and any sort of collaborations. Again, you know, in, in academia, we're always collaborating. And so that's that's the mindset that I have. I'd, I'd love to um, collaborate with people um, on upcycling in general, even if it's not about sewing, if that's not, their thing, then it could be upcycling um, some somewhere else, and um, perhaps you know we can connect 
uh, locally and um, and just see where that leads us. So, yeah, I'll send you all those details, Darcy. Amazing. I hope that some people can connect with you um, off the back of this. Uh, so before I let you go, Marion, uh, thanks again for, the, for your time. I've just learned so much, and I, as I always do when I speak to you. But as we're starting to creep towards the end of the year, what do you reflect on as your biggest achievement? And can you leave us with your big audacious goal for 2023 because you don't seem short of a few goals oh I think my biggest achievement is from this year is just selling any bag (laughs) okay because as I said I was not sure of myself at the start and just I remember the first time someone I didn't know bought a bag and it was just the most exhilarating moment so that definitely is my achievement that I've sold anything this year and I think that's fabulous um and next year there's no real big goals or reveals other than to um you know keep all those plates spinning and um grow much slowly but steadily um forging like some more local um, collaborations with local businesses potentially, Um, you know, obviously keep up with all my academic work, which is really important to me as well. Um, So it's just about maintenance now because, you know, at the start it's very, you're very like, you know, so much energy and, but, you know, I think the real test is over time is, is the longevity and I, um, and I would also like to have some spare time to do some other things like go back to dance classes or whatever I used to do before. So that would be nice, but we'll see if that if that happens. Amazing. I hope you keep doing what you're doing and I look forward to, to seeing your brand and career grow with time. Thank you again, Marion. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Darshi. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbiased with me, Darshi Harindra. I derive so much energy and learn so much from speaking to such inspiring guests and amplifying diverse voices. If you feel the same way, please do subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you consume your content from and follow me and the podcast so you can get all the latest episodes as they drop. I'd also love to hear from you. What works for you? What do you like to hear more of? You can connect with me via my website, darshiharindra.com. Until next time, stay open, 